within a bleak and dismal swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters, lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Doom. Hello and welcome to Camping with Owlbears. I am the Lonely Adventurer. It is June 19th, so it's been exactly two months, eight weeks since the last podcast dropped. Um, so I'm not doing so good with getting back on the podcasting uh, wagon, it would seem. Uh, I just have a lot of other things kind of pulling my attention away. Uh, I've got Glog is done. Done? Yeah, done. Uh, I have a third person doing kind of a re... I've had two volunteer editors so far. Now I've got a third and... Uh, uh, I keep I kept adding little things to it, and I got, I had to stop myself. <laughs> so uh, I did realize today that uh, printing this was gonna for my players was gonna be kind of difficult because it's 108 pages long with all the character classes that I've gotten there now, and uh, you know the glaive zine was oh god how long was that? I think I would have looked this up first before I started recording, but why would I do that? uh about 30 pages long <laughs> so and that makes a nice little zine but uh you know I've, I've got a couple of fatter ones here that i've ordered from other kickstarters and things start to get a little weird around uh, the 40 page count uh which is actually just you know 10 pages folded in half for a zine uh my studio does have a spiral binder and a perfect binder but i, I don't like perfect binding all that much um you know the pages don't open very well and then when the glue starts to give away it all gives away um, and spirals are fine until you crush them. So I think I want to stick with the zine format. So I spent a little time this morning separating the rules into one zine that is about 30 pages long, uh, 40 pages long, and uh, <clears throat> a completely separate zine that is nothing but the character classes, and that, that weighs in at a hefty 64 pages uh, of character classes. And most of them are just double-page spreads. So, yeah, there's a lot in there. I've definitely... Uh, um, I definitely overdid it with the options, <laughs> uh, but I really like everything that's in there. But uh, and I thought today uh, I have nothing particular to talk about. Well, uh, I shouldn't say that. Um, I will try to sum up the Dead City of Iztac uh, point crawl. We've played several times since the last time I podcasted, um, but there's been lots of gaps also just because of people's schedules and weddings and all kinds of stuff. Um, <clears throat> But we are wrapping that up, so maybe a little retrospective. And uh, I thought we'd look at the final uh, ranger archetype for uh, for my house rules. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm just cracking open my third uh, anti-resin here from Six Point Brewery. And that's a, a hefty uh, 9.1 alcohol by volume count there, so I'm probably a little buzzed already. <laughs> we'll, so we'll see how this goes. Um, let me get my PDF up, and I'll be right back. So let's talk Dead City of Iztac first. Um, I cannot remember where we left off, to be honest with you, podcast-wise. Um, I've gone back and scrolled through quickly uh, the last few episodes, but can't quite find uh, the last uh, game update I really gave. Uh, so here's where the party ended up. So they're looking for this MacGuffin to get to the caretaker, and uh, they have made a deal with some kind of spooky mystery man who looks like David Bowie uh, to deal with some maggot elves and he knows where this thing is and he will deliver it to them uh, once they help him out. And so the party devises, uh, they, they, they probe at the side of the city where 
the Maggot Elves are and keep running into uh, pretty tough stuff. And so finally looking at the map, they, they get the idea to maybe come in from through the back door uh, if they could only get back to uh, the north side of the city unharmed uh, to grab a boat that is over there. However, uh, on the way, the plan was to return to an island uh, that is in the middle of the river that divides the north and south side of the island, uh, the city, sorry. And uh, they were going to go to the easternmost tip of this island and fly directly north to the one uh, node that they had not explored along the northern shoreline. Pretty sure that they would find a, a boat there. However, what they ran into at in the uh, northernmost, uh, the easternmost node of that island uh, was their good friend Mother Turtle from uh, who they had last seen in the Tower of the Sages. Um, we had a really quick role play there. Uh, we were we were we were a bit on we were on high speed a bit. We have a, a seventh player has joined our group. <laughs> uh, so there was a, a a former intern, a studio monitor at my uh, at my studio who uh, I just really like. I think they're a great person. Uh, they were a student of mine a couple of years ago, and they love D and D, and they're always kind of lamenting that they're not in our game. And I've always been kind of just you know there's six people I can't take anymore. Um, and so while we were at this wedding uh, a few weeks ago, they were there as well, and uh, we were chatting, and I said, all right, well, you know, let's, let's grab a couple more. I know there are other people in the studio also who want to play D&D, so if we can grab two or three people, I'm happy to run a second game. I'd love to play with you. Uh, at which point a few of my current players uh, overheard this and just bum-rushed the conversation and, and immediately said, no, no, they are playing with us. <laughs> they are in our group. So now my group is seven. Oh boy, help me. <laughs> and so we wanted to integrate them into play as quickly as possible. So uh, we, we kind of uh, fast-forwarded through a lot of the role-playing with, uh, with Grandmother Turtle. Um, it, was, it ended up being kind of funny the way it worked out. And then she flew them south across the river to uh, sneak in through the back entrance to the, uh, the camp of the, uh, of the Maggot Elves, or actually the, the, the node that contained the Nightmare Tree, which is this, you know, kind of a medieval folkloric tree that spawns these elves from giant uh, uh, pods and whatnot. And they had a pretty epic battle there. Uh, there was the leader of the elves um, and a bunch of uh, these maggot elves uh, wandering around. We tried something different with uh, mapping this time. So when we were online, obviously we were just using uh, Roll20 and the, the quality and the detail of my maps would vary, but they, it was pretty pretty standard kind of playing with a battle mat and mini sort of sort of play. Um, I tried something different with this. For this one node, I used index cards and did zone mapping and kind of made up some rules on the fly that, uh, you know, you could move from one index card to an adjacent index card as your movement. Um, ranged attacks could go uh, all melee, only happened in the, the index card, the zone that you were in. Uh, ranged attacks could go from one zone to an adjacent zone and they could shoot further than that but with a penalty and if you want to double move you could cover more ground and then each one it was a kind of there's about six or seven of these cards and each one had a kind of a big like what's in this part of this node uh so a, a, a headless statue overgrown with vines uh the 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 great roots of the nightmare tree um and they would have little aspects tagged to them to give the players uh an idea of what was in that specific space that they could work with. So kind of like the way you key a, a dungeon map, um, but it gives a visual reminder to the players that, oh, hey, there's a, there's a, 
there's a thick thick bramble over here I can hide in that and move stealthily or, or this this zone over here has uh, burning braziers I could if I remember that I can kick them over and, and uh, try to distract or create difficult terrain for the enemy whatever let you play a little it's it's more abstract and yet somehow you, I find the play gets more tactical because there are these reminders there for the the players um that went really well so they they, they beat up all these uh, uh all these maggot elves uh, at which point the uh, the blight abomination at the base of this awful tree uh, rose and pulled itself to the surface, and they had a big old boss fight. About three of the players went down, uh, though no one was killed, and it was pretty intense. We introduced our our new player, and uh, they are playing a mimic out of Relic, so we're kind of combining the two rule sets. Uh, they're pretty compatible, so. Um, they were there looking for their 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 baby their baby mimics who had been uh, accidentally scooped up as loot uh, by the uh, by the Magadels. and so she joined the fight and uh, it was it was pretty good it was a uh, I gave a bunch of boss moves to this uh, uh, to this blight abomination and so it wasn't so it was you know basically a solo monster fight but I gave them enough stuff that they could do um, throughout the player's turn that it was very kind of got very complicated and interesting um they had these uh, vines that would bend roots that would pop up out of the ground and anytime triggered by things that the players did and if they were a, a melee character it would drag them from from the zone that they were in fighting this abomination into oh, away from them into an adjacent uh zone grappling them and, and taking them away from the fight and we do the opposite with the ranged or with uh the ranged attackers and the magic users pulling them close into the the blight abomination so it was a good fight it was really good it didn't last too too long it lasted about the right amount of time um and when it was all over in comes this big uh kind of a kind of a dragon well yeah a dragon but uh, not really in the western sense more of the in the eastern sense you know no wings uh kind of the fu manchu look going on and it transforms before them into this guy calithrax uh, david bowie who they've been dealing with and uh, it turns out uh that the missing head on the statue is buried in some bramble and as he pulls away the leaves covering up this decapitated the, the face of this decapitated head it, it's his own face on this statue and he's in fact the the guardian spirit of this long dead uh, city, and uh, he has been unable to return to his shrine, his place of power, since this nightmare tree took root here, and he's been uh, banished to the and uh, uh, in exile out in the, uh, the half sunken end of the city in the uh, in the uh, the hot springs. And so, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, he healed everyone up, um, which they needed. It's it, it's always kind of tricky. Uh, well, it's not tricky, but it's it's, it's maybe tricky is the right word i don't know it's interesting to pull things like boss moves or legendary actions from fifth edition or uh, kind of more complicated more tactical uh bits of play into something as simple as bx glaive relic whatever um but it seemed to work pretty well um you know none of the characters have multi-attack but there were seven of them for crying out loud <laughs> you know i needed to get creative um and i didn't want to just give it more hit points or make it hit harder because that, that is a problem i've run into with these big bosses is i'll think that doing 3d6 worth of damage on a hit is is pretty okay as long as it's something that only goes off once or twice but that that is enough to to take one of these players down to uh, below half hit points uh if it if it lands 
Um, which, I don't know, maybe that's what you want. You want one big scary move, right? Uh, that's what I try to do anyway with them, is, is one big one big ouchy attack uh, that can really ruin someone's day. One kind of low-level, you know, D6, D8 attack that is going to land consistently, and then some sort of area of effect so that if the melee fighters gang up on it or people cluster together, it can hit more than one person at a time. But uh, I found giving it these, these kind of mobile roots that acted on their own turn um, or on their own initiative was really good. It is a little odd having um, something that happens in 5th edition with, with powerful monsters is um, look at their legendary actions that happen at certain points during the initiative, but 5e is using that 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 batting order, uh, you go, you go, you go, you go, and uh, I don't do that. It's just round, you know, side initiative, and it changes every single round, so I simply kind of worked it so that any time a player did something as long as this uh this boss monster still had something left in its uh, arrow left in its quiver so to speak uh it would trigger one of these these maneuvers and it, it went really well uh and then we had a very nice kind of uh the the uh Calithrax, david bowie uh invited mulch to stay with him to help rebuild uh and revitalize this underground city um and so we had a nice little moment where mulch uh Mulch agreed to this and uh, gave gifts to their fellow adventurers and uh, is now staying in the dead city with uh, Calithrax. The uh, reason being, my wife has started a new job within the hospital and uh, her hours, she will be working until, you know, we start play around 5.30, 6 o'clock, and she doesn't get out of work until 8. Uh, which is nice for us personally because her mornings are free, which is great because she's a runner and the best time for her to go running is in the morning and if she's not running we'll go for a nice long walk we'll go out grab coffee and have breakfast together um so it's really great for the two of us uh but not so great for our D schedule uh so my wife is now going to be uh, kind of an intermittent player when when her her she only works four days a week but it's um you never know when that third day off is going to be during the week so if it happens to be on a day uh, that is D&D night. She will come along and, and play. Uh, we're going to make her a, a goblin or a pile of goblins. It just kind of comes and goes. So in a way, I guess my group is back down to six again. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought we would... Uh, so that's where we're at. And uh, they had some a lot of interaction with Calithrax, as I said, and then he took them uh, back to the Cathedral of Madness where they had almost had a party wipe uh, fighting uh, this Ayun uh, golem, uh, basically a hydra uh, made out of out of gems and stones, um, and uh, we had some fun role playing over there, and uh, and that's kind of where we left off. We were supposed to play this week, but a bunch of people couldn't make it. Uh, one of our new player was moving that day, and uh, uh, two of our other players had some some stuff going on. Uh, that was going to make them very late. So uh, what's been happening the last couple of weeks is those of us who are available just get together anyway and, and kind of hang out. So it's it's been nice, even though we haven't been playing. Um, although, man, I am really itching to wrap up this campaign. You know, I mean, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know how long it's been. <laughs> um, I actually did a lot of editing to this final bit that we're uh, heading into just to kind of get to the good stuff and not... Uh, I feel like we've had enough dungeon crawling. We don't need any more in this campaign. Uh, what we need is some nice resolution, and I think everyone's excited to play the new rules. They've been looking at the character classes, so yeah. So that's where we're at with that. Uh, we move into the Cathedral of Madness, uh, which is essentially a large uh, puzzle dungeon. They've already poked around in it a little bit, um, and and 
been burned pretty badly by it. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, hopefully, I think they'll get through it in one go. Um, as long as uh, they can deal with the stuff that is in there while they're trying to figure out the puzzle. So yeah, so that's where we're at with that. So let's move along here. Mm. You know, this anti-resin is good, but I've developed a real taste for Dale's Pale Ales over uh, quarantine. Um, as testified by the five or six uh, bags of recycling that need to be taken out in my kitchen that are primarily full of Dale's Pale Ale cans. <laughs> oh well, I don't have a problem, you have a problem. Anyway, um, but this is pretty good, the, uh, the anti-resin. If you ever have a chance to pick up some, uh, some Six Point Brewery stuff, it's, uh, it's really nice. They're out of Brooklyn. Uh, I went there a couple times while I was living back in the city a few years ago. Real nice guys, real nice place. They were just kind of starting up when I was there. Anyway, uh, so let's look at the the Fay Stalker. We, I believe, uh, hopefully someone, Jason, uh, Joe, my regular uh, callers will uh, let me know. Uh, we did go through the Amazon of Joe Rue, and we did go over the Hunter. I know, I know at least the Hunter for sure. Um, so your Hunter is your is your Aragorn type ranger. The Amazon is your Beast Companion type ranger. And then I got it in my head to create the, the that arcane archer kind of magical ranger. Uh, and so we created, I created the face stalker. Uh, so starting gear for, for this character class, light armor, bow, arrows, 20, one's taking up one slot, and Fletcher's gear. Um, the four templates, template A is fey archery, plus two enchantments and one magic die. We'll talk, obviously, I'll explain all that in a second. Uh, template B is inhuman accuracy, plus one enchantment, plus one magic die. C is impossible shot, plus one enchantment, and plus one magic die. D is meld with shadow, plus four enchantments, and plus a final fourth magic die. Um, gain one magic die for each face stalker template you possess to a maximum of four. So I'm, I'm basically using the structure for a wizard, uh, to create this kind of a, a martial wizard, I guess, a ranged attack wizard. Um, it, I've been having fun with a lot of these kind of other, I, I, just, I clump them together as other magic users, these non-standard wizards. Uh, I created, I can't recall if we talked about it again, maybe someone will let me know. Um, I created rules for creating a wizard sanctum for uh, your traditional wizards, your elementalists, your classic orthodox wizard, your, your witch. Uh, and with a sanctum, a wizard sanctum, that's where you can create magic items, scrolls, uh, magic robes, and, and do research and things like that. that oh, excuse me. And uh, I've got a whole little little system for what it costs to operate and upkeep, and then the benefits that come from that. So it's to sort of em, uh, encourage, um, you know, the beginnings of domain level play from that sort of a character. Facestalker operates on, and these other magic users operate on roughly the same similar mechanics with the magic dice, but they don't have any access beyond, to that stuff that goes beyond just their their powers that they have. So it's still, I think it still keeps the wizards uh, special. Sorry, I had to pause there. My phone just closed, and I couldn't tell if I was still recording. <laughs> okay, so let's tell you, let's read through these uh, these templates. So template A, the Fey Archery. Uh, there is nothing inherently magical about your bow or the arrows, but you know how to whisper to the remnants of life still clinging to the wood, bone, and sinew of your tools, and this allows you to imbue them with powerful enchantments. Enchantments always destroy the arrow. You need to track your ammunition. Uh, 
we'll see how that goes. Um, I just thought it seemed thematically cool that it just burns up the uh, the arrow when you fire it in the same way that uh, casting from a spell a scroll destroys that spell scroll. So when you fire your bow without using an enchantment, you have a nor- the normal three-in-one chance of recovering your arrow at the end of an encounter. When you select template A, roll 1d6 twice and gain the enchantments listed off the list. At template B, roll a d8 and gain one new, templa- uh, one new enchantment. At template C, roll a d10. With template D, simply choose four enchantments from the list. Enchantments either require a two-hit roll, a save from the target, or they just work. The enchantment describes which uh, note I'm sorry, the enchantment description will note which. I had a little, one of my proofreaders had a little confusion there because, you know, magic usually kind of works in old school D&D, like there's no roll involved, but there's often a counter roll from the target, but uh, obviously enchanting arrows is a little kind of a, a mushy ground, so so there we go. You either roll to hit or the target rolls a save, or it just happens, depending on what it is. And I think that's in line with most other magic stuff, so... Template B, inhuman accuracy. Your your words get can't. <laughs> Template B, inhuman accuracy. Your arrows appear to twist and turn in flight with uncanny precision. You ignore the penalty for shooting into melee combat. So here's that archer you want. If you want to be the guy who's shooting into the brawl, uh, regardless, uh, irregardless of your your ally safety, this is the class for you. Uh, because at temp, at second level, you'll you'll be able to do that without killing your own friends. Um, I sometimes wonder if my rules against about shooting into melee like are a little too harsh. Uh, I know it's definitely like not in the it's not consistent with the themes of this ridiculously high heroics of 5e, but I do feel like penalizing that sort of um, decision in an old school game feels right. Um, but this one class lets you work around that. Template C, you get impossible shot. Once per encounter, you can make an impossible shot with a ranged weapon. The attack automatically hits, provided the target is within two times the weapon's listed range. The attack can bounce around corners, cut a coin in half, or part a single hair on a target's head. And I believe that is, I think I just cut and pasted that from something that the hunter can do. But, you know, there's a lot of overlap between these characters, so that's fine. And template D, you get meld with shadow. Burn magic dice to meld with darkness for dice plus some rounds. Magic dice invested in this ability are automatically lost for the day, so it doesn't matter what you roll, you're going to lose it. Um, while within dim light or darkness, you can walk on walls and ceilings. If you remain utterly motionless, you automatically pass any stealth check. Um, so that's it for the templates. And then the rest of this character is basically coming from the enchantments that it can lay on its arrows. So, uh, the Banshee's Arrow... Screams like a demon in flight and shrieks on impact. Affected creature must make a wisdom save or receive the frightened condition, uh, which I have taken right out of 5e. You can look it up yourself. But uh, the 5e conditions are mostly pretty good, except for prone, which uh, I need to work on. So I I pretty much lifted them wholesale. Uh, Enchantment number two, Breath of the Dragon Arrow. The arrow trails brightly colored smoke that can A, fill a dice times 10 foot square area, or B, do some uh, make create a some wide by 10 foot tall by dice times 20 foot long wall of smoke that's that's probably very confusing having that read to you but it reads on the page just fine basically you create a wall of smoke um with one magic die the smoke lightly obscures the area imposing negative two on ranged attacks with two magic dice invested all attacks are made at negative two to hit and creatures have advantage to hide with three or more magic dice, everyone in the affected area is blinded, another condition, uh, except the face stalker or any creature with magic or wizard vision. Uh, so low light and dark vision is not going to help you. 
the chaos arrow. Uh, affected creatures take dice plus some damage and twitch dance for sometimes five foot. Uh, sorry, they twitch dance sometimes five feet in a random direction. Wisdom save for half damage and to avoid being moved. So basically, this this allows you to. Uh, hit someone pretty hard and force movement on them so you can knock them off a balcony or a cliff or whatever or just get them away from your wizard that they were just pounding on um so it's a nice little kind of controller I'm, i was kind of thinking about like a uh, battlefield controllers from fourth edition D with this cat with this class uh the sap arrow here's another one for controlling the battlefield uh deck save to avoid the affected creatures are splattered with clinging sap they are considered to be encumbered uh, which has a bunch of uh, penalties in in relic if multiple creatures are affected, they must move as a group and save as a single creature. So you can end up creating uh, this kind of, you know, Gundam, <laughs> Gundam orc out of uh, by by uh, linking them all with this this goopy sap. Uh, the acid arrow make a ranged attack roll. Target takes di- takes dice plus some damage as well as some ongoing damage. That's S U M for dice rounds. Um, if fired at a wooden wall, door, or floor, the arrow will create a hole in one turn, so that's 10 minutes, big enough for medium and smaller creatures to pass through. Does not work on stone or metal. Um, well, I'm not really sure why acid wouldn't work on stone or metal, but I've just decided that, so <laughs> it just sounded good. Don't want this to be too OP. Uh, the sixth enchantment is a fox-eared arrow. The face stalker can hear all sounds within 20 feet of the arrow, as if they were being made directly next to them, so a nice little way to, to eavesdrop on folks, uh, a very kind of... Uh, uh, Hawkeye or Green Arrow, a sort of uh, utility arrow there. There's the Magpie Arrow. The arrow swaps place with the target, allowing the face stalker to teleport objects into their hands. So you want that uh, the magic doobly do that the uh, the big bad guy has on the uh, on the altar behind them. Just shoot it with his arrow, and the arrow will swap places with uh, the magic doobly do, and now it's in your hands. Um, investing one magic die target an object no larger than a gold coin or iron key. So obviously the more magic dice you invest, the larger you can move. Two magic dice target an object that occupies no more than one item slot, so a hat or a sword, whatever. Um, At three magic dice, you can uh, target an object that is equivalent to a medium-sized creature, so another human-sized creature. And if you invest four magic dice, uh, you can move something as big as an ogre or a wagon. I'm not sure how you're going to hold on to that when it gets to you, but you can do it. Uh, Let's see. Enchantment number eight is the flesh to stone arrow. Wisdom save or the target becomes paralyzed. Apply a negative dice modifier to their saving roll. So the more dice you invest in this one, the harder it is for them to successfully, or the the more difficult uh, the save is. Uh, Nine, the ricochet arrow. Fill fill dice adjacent 10-foot cubes with a blur of, again, this is one of those ones that doesn't, read well when I say it, <laughs> when I speak it to you, but it, believe me that it reads well on the page. Uh, you're going to create a cube uh, that is, t- uh, you're going to fill a number of 10-foot cubes equal to the dice you invest in this. So if you invest three dice, a 30-foot cube, uh, or with a blur of spectral arrows that hum like angry bees and inflict some damage to anyone passing through the area. Deck save for half. The area is considered hazardous terrain. So another battlefield control uh, enchantment here. Uh, entangling arrow. This is another control one. Grasping brambles erupt in a dice times 10 foot square. These plants turn the ground in the area into hazardous terrain that inflicts some damage on anyone restrained or passing through it. Creatures in the area must save versus strength or be restrained by the entangling vines. A save ends this effect. Alright, almost done. Uh, Coming at number 11, we've got the displacer arrow. Make a ranged attack roll. Target takes 1d6 plus strength damage. 
Each magic die invested in this spell allows you to fire an additional arrow at the same target with a stacking plus two to hit, or at a new target with no additional bonus. So my thought was that this is machine gun mode, right? Um, it's the arrow itself is being displaced through time and space. You're only firing one arrow, but the more magic dice you uh, invest in it, the more uh, wiggly jiggly in the time uh, stream it becomes. And so it actually hits and impacts the target multiple times, or um, it can hit several targets once. And the final enchantment is the blink arrow. Fire an arrow at an, at an area that you can see. The arrow trails an arcane umbilical that is anchored to your bow. When the arrow arrives, you are whisked, whisked across the intervening space. Watch out for pillars and plumes of fire. So it's not quite a teleport spell, um, but it's definitely a I want to be a swashbuckler uh, spell slash enchantment for your bow here. Um, so that's the Fae Stalker in a nutshell. Oh, I guess I should read through the, uh, the mishaps and dooms and stuff. Um... So the first three dooms for everyone that uses magic uh, is the same. And uh, so on a one, magic dice uh, return to your pool on a one to two instead of a one through three for the next 24 hours. On a two, you take a d6 damage. Uh, in this case, I guess I did change the third one. For the face stalker on a, a mishap a roll of three, the string breaks, spend around doing nothing but restringing your bow. Uh, on a four, you lose one magic die for 24 hours. On a five, d12 arrows shatter in your quiver. Uh, just exploding ammunition and on a six you cannot use enchantments for 1d6 rounds uh, the doom of the face stalker these were a little a uh, little more challenging to come up with because um, you want them to be specific to the class that's the whole point of these um, the first doom of the face stalker is that your bow actually explodes when you try to enchant one of the arrows for 2d6 damage in a 10 foot radius uh, so don't stand too close to your allies <laughs> if you roll a triple uh, on the second doom, you draw the ire of a Gru, a long-limbed, shaggy-pelted predator from the sideways, uh, it appear, which is kind of my version of the Feywild, I guess. Uh, it appears within 2d6 times 10 feet of you and attacks the nearest target. It has the stats of a cave bear. Just use bears, guys. Always just use bears. The third doom of the Fey Stalker is that they become stalked by the mythical wild hunt of folklore that I'm sure most of us are pretty familiar with. I don't have any rules in here for that. That's just all it says. If we get there, if a character, someone plays this and we get there, I will work out how that adventure works. <laughs> uh, so notes on the Fey Stalker here. You're not quite the sharpshooter or tracker that the hunter is, but your spells bring a lot of utility to a fight. Battlefield control is your focus. Only two of your enchantments are specifically offensive, and Acid Arrow is situationally useful outside of combat. Flesh to Stone has a very limited window of effectiveness. It is primarily intended, primarily intended to let you escape from powerful monsters you should have avoided in the first place. Oh yeah, I forgot about that when I was writing that. Um, so Flesh to Stone Arrow, Wisdom Saver, the target becomes paralyzed, apply a dice, a negative modifier equal to the dice invested to the save. Um, my guys have figured out after a year of play that, you know, sometimes running away is the right thing to do. They have run away quite a few times in the dead city of Iztac, but sometimes it's hard to get away. <laughs> um, I don't have any hard or fast rules for chases. Um, I find rules like that in RPGs are, are rarely any good. I suppose you could do a 4E style skill challenge, but I don't have any skills in my game, so then that's just an ability roll challenge. I don't I haven't figured out an elegant way of doing it. Um, I've simply said, when they decide to run away, I simply make everyone do a dexterity save, and if they pass the save, then they are able to disengage successfully. I have put rules in for that kind of stuff, at least disengaging from combat anyway, into uh, Relic. 
and I do still need to work on that a little bit. But this arrow is a kind of like a getaway from the monster that we shouldn't have poked in the first place. Um, yeah, so who are you? You are an elf or one of the dozen other fey touch species of the world. At some point, your ancestors came here from the sideways and lost their way back. But there's still a touch of the magical about your people. Uh, you are as close to a gish as relic gets. Part wizard, part fighter. You're not as specialized as either, but you're definitely more adaptable. And so that's the fey stalker. I think we'll uh, we'll call it there. I'm trying to think if there's anything else gaming related I've got going on. Uh, my class wrapped up, as I think we already talked about. Yeah, we must have April, May, June. Actually, no. I guess I was still in class with uh, the last time uh, the last time I recorded. Well, let's talk about that real, real quick, and then we'll we'll end this. So class ended. It was pretty good. Um, one thing I've noticed, you know, at the end of every semester, everyone's really low energy. They're tired. They didn't get a spring break this year, which you know, I, I mean. Can you hear my eyes rolling through my podcast? Oh, you can get a spring break. I don't get a spring break. <laughs> but uh, it, it is important for, you know, it, it does recharge their batteries and get them through the second half of the semester. Um, most of the kids did a really great job and uh, really kind of put uh, put a lot of effort into everything they did. And I was really impressed with them. Uh, you know, one or two, there's always one or two who don't. What are you going to do, right? Um but semester over, they all did their final projects. I think of everything that I adapted from the GAIAC 75 challenge to this art class, the one thing I will not do again the next time I run this, which unfortunately will not be next semester, I was told, but but probably the semester after that, uh, is designing the Mega Dungeon. It wasn't applicable to uh, some of the concepts the students wanted to work with, and it was largely anything that was worth learning from that experience was reproduced in other projects that we did especially because I also included a, a module on designing a five room dungeon and I think that five room dungeon is a little bit more uh, well, not a little bit it's a lot more useful especially to kids who are playing more modern more modern games uh, when they learn to think of the five room dungeon as a more of a narrative construct that mirrors the three act uh, story structure that we're used to of the, the hero's journey um it just becomes it's incredibly flexible there's a lot you can do with it it can be a straightforward dungeon crawl but it can also just be a, a series of interesting encounters or, or challenges to overcome and as a, i feel like it's actually got a lot more utility uh which is interesting because i remember having several conversations on the osr discord with uh folks who love the big dungeons who who felt it was sort of a waste of space and couldn't figure out what to do with it but i i have through working with these kids and having to explain both approaches bigger dungeons and smaller dungeons to them I'm actually seeing it as a much stronger tool, and there's no reason you can't string together several of these to make a much larger dungeon if you want that cool other world uh, dungeon crawl experience. Um, so yeah, the class is over. It was good. I had a really great bunch of kids. Um, I hope a couple of them. Hope some of them will stay in contact. So a lot of them I had for the second or third time, uh, which is pretty rare, I think, in my department. So um, that was a real treat uh, to see how they'd grown from a year or two years ago since I last had them. Um, and a bunch of them have now graduated officially, so I'm looking forward to seeing what they do out in the out in the real world. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's where we're at. Uh, hopefully we're going to game on Wednesday, and if we do, I will try my best to uh, carve out some time to come back and do an episode. Uh, I'd love to hear from folks. Uh, Jason, if you're listening, I got your your two messages regarding the last episode, but it was so long ago I didn't, uh, I didn't include them in here. Um, I'd love to hear from you guys. I know that uh, things have kind of shifted around in the uh, the Anchor podcasting community. There's uh, some folks are bad. I see Logan's back and posting some episodes, and other people are just been like myself, been really quiet lately. Um, 
so yeah it'd be nice to reconnect with uh connect with folks but until then uh oh my god i forgot my i forgot my outro is it game on is that no i don't say that that's someone else <laughs> it's been that long guys it has been that long well until next time i will catch you all on the flip side uh, be safe and we'll be talking to you lonely adventurer out <laughs>